0: His nickname is Cheese. Hello,
1: I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast that is here for all my pinipals, the Raw Safari Podcast. That's right, y'all. We are starting off this week with a bang, taking it back to the Columbus Zoo. Now, we haven't had Columbus on here since our episode with Christy back in the first season of the podcast. And I am so excited to be back doing a an episode with, uh, with a person working at the Columbus Zoo. It's just such a great place. I love it so much. And, um, This one is good, y'all. We are talking about the pinnipeds at Columbus. So the seals and the sea lions. And of course, as I'm sure you know, if you know anything about pinnipeds, uh, these are animals that are really, really, really trainable. The, the whole pinniped training thing is a big deal. And so I'm talking to Shane Gorbitt, who is not only going to talk to you about training those pinnipeds, but also tell you about a little group known as the ABMA. And that name, which I'm told I'm not allowed to call the ABMA, despite really wanting to, uh, stands for the Animal Behavior Management Alliance. And I'm going to let Shane tell you all about what that is, but it's a really cool group. And um, even if you are not in this field, but if you have pets or just have any interest in all of the training conversations we've had with people like Vouter uh, Stillard and uh, Hilary Hanke and, of course, Danny poirier Larson, uh, then you are going to be fascinated by the ABMA, not ABMA, despite my best attempts. Uh, And actually, uh, this is really cool because this is the ABMA's Behavior Month, which is taking place mostly on their Facebook, uh, but it is an entire month focused on cooperative care and behavior and uh, choice and control and all these different things that we talk about in behavior so if you're into all of that this is going to be a great episode for you and if not well i have some good news for you we do talk a lot about the pinnipeds and also some other really cool animals at the columbus zoo and from shane's career before that and uh Also, Shane's a total goober, just like me. So we make lots of jokes, we make lots of puns. As a matter of fact, I had a really hard time picking out which dumb joke to use for the title of this episode. Uh, There were just so many to choose from. And actually... There are even more available in the Patreon bonus content from this episode, because if you are one of my patrons, you get bonus content from certain episodes, and this is a really good one, y'all. Not to toot our horns or nothing, but Shane and I had a really fun, really goofy conversation uh, for the patrons. Um, we actually started talking about the fact that he used to work at Bush Gardens running the cheetah run. And uh, so we talk about what a cheetah run is and what goes into that, and uh, the jokes get really, really ridiculous in that part. We also – he shares a really cool other story that uh, I'll, I'll, you know, leave to my patrons' ears, but also – I don't know why I chose to do this, but I ended up telling a really goofy story from my life. So uh, it, it doesn't even relate to animals. It just relates to me being stupid. So if you would like to hear stories of cheetahs running or me being stupid uh, or, or Shane being, well, I don't want to call a guest stupid, and he was not stupid, but goofy, then uh, you should become a patron. Yeah, just go to patreon.com slash and for as little as $3 a month, you can here, this and other bonus audio. All of the previous bonus audio stuff is always available, so new patrons have a bunch of listening that they get to do, including two full episodes that are patron-exclusive that are out there right now. So uh, yeah, take the time to check that out if you are willing. All right, I have done enough trying to convince you to give me $3 a month or more. We always take more. But uh, yeah, so without further ado, here is my interview with Shane Gorbit of the Columbus Zoo and the A-B-M-A, not ABMA. And also not ABBA. He didn't sing Dancing Queen. Anyway, here's Shane. All right. So um, I am sitting here in a beautiful park in one of my favorite cities in the country, and uh, I'm sitting here with somebody named Shane. Shane, tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there.
0: Hey, great to be here. My name is Shane Gorbett. Currently, I work at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium in the Pinniped Department, and then outside of work, kind of, I also am one of the board of directors of ABMA, or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance.
1: Right. And I'm so disappointed that you guys call it ABMA because I've been calling it ABMA and it just, it disappoints me that we can't do that today, but, uh, we can, if you want to, no, no, we got to keep it right. So (laughs) ABMA. And, um, for those of you who have been listening for a long time, uh, Shane and I were connected through Jake Belair, uh, my first guest on the podcast who just keeps giving. Um, so hi Jake. And thank you as always for your support. Uh, but enough about him. Let's, let's talk about you. Um, so, yeah, tell me, like, how did you get into all of this? Tell me what it was like coming up. Did you know you loved animals? Did you always want to work with animals? All that
0: stuff. So the short answer is yes. Uh, I can easily tell you that uh, I was destined for this when my 10-year-old ten, Christmas present was a 15 VHS box set of Jack Hanna. Yes. Uh, so that was an immediate one. I mean, growing up, I grew up about an hour north of Columbus. So I've been coming to the Columbus Zoo my entire life. And I always thought I wanted to be a zookeeper. And then as I grew older, I realized I liked talking to people a lot and was a little misinformed that there weren't opportunities to both do animal care and also a lot of education with guests as well. So went into college thinking I was going to do research. I watched Fish Mate for four years. Did a ton of research on that. Got a lot oh, okay.
1: Of, so that was for research. I thought that was your hobby. I was like,
0: we can get a lot of uh, funny jokes in there um, <laughs> about me watching fish porn in college. <laughs> and, <laughs> but that's what I was doing and actually uh, preparing to apply for PhD stuff to do research and then needed a summer job. And since I went to school in Delaware, Ohio, right down the road from Columbus Zoo at Ohio Wesleyan University, decided, hey, let me go and get a seasonal summer job at the zoo. My funny story is I walked into the seasonal job fair dressed in suit and tie, ready professional. It was me and a lot of high schoolers wearing (laughs) jeans and T-shirts. So uh, um, the funny thing was, is one of your favorite places, you just told me the Animal Encounters Village is actually where I started. And um, at the time, Jen and Heather, who were to the leads of animal encounters village were sitting there with their laptop and they had a picture of a red rough lemur on it. Nice. Which is actually my favorite animal. Okay. Even though I work with, um, pinnipeds currently. And so I just went, the zoo has red rough lemurs. And they said, well, we used to, (laughs) and then I started talking with them and literally the rest was history. I'd had that as a summer job. And, fell in love with animal training, doing shows, guest interaction, all those things. So then I had to have the conversation with all my friends, family, and my professors that I was not going to continue with research. And I have been training, caring for animals, talking to people, and loving it ever since.
1: Now, do you ever recreationally go back to the fish porn? Or No, I can't. I can't.
0: <laughs> Funny, I do have fish at home. So okay, okay. what I do in my own house is my own business, though, John.
1: <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Also, we're recording this in a public park, and we're just yelling fish porn, and I love it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, um, yeah, so that's awesome. And so it's just been Columbus, like, from the start.
0: Yes, from the start, I actually was in Animal Encounters Village for uh, four and a half years. Went to Bush Gardens with uh, cheetahs. There, love that. But then got—I'm using quotations—you can't see me—stolen back to Columbus <laughs> to work with the sea lions.
1: Okay, fair, fair. Um, and and y'all have lemurs in Aev, right? Yes. So so good.
0: I love them. Yeah, yes. Got, got, I don't okay. get to see them a lot, but I hear them. And fair. I love them.
1: Fair. Yeah, they are. They are amazing. Um, very cool. Very cool. Um, when you went to Bush Gardens, what did you do there?
0: So I worked at and cheetah run so we had uh the cheetahs we did cheetah runs tours and then one of my other favorite animals ground hornbills so nice shout out to corn dog the <laughs> ground hornbill at bush gardens yes. if anyone from bush gardens is listening to this we need the tiktok of corn but with Corn from Bush Gardens, please and thank you.
1: Oh, that is such a good idea, and I know someone who works at Bush Gardens right now. I, I will try to make that happen.
0: I actually know the supervisor who works with corn. So, Justin, you're on notice.
1: <laughs> Alicia, check it out. Make sure this happens. Okay, <laughs> let's just we're making things happen here on the podcast today. All right, awesome. Um, that's really cool. That's that's man, you've just been jumping around animal to animal. So, uh,
0: yeah, I'm one of the people that I've never. You know, a lot of people in the marine mammal field have dreamed of working with marine mammals. I honestly am more excited about what is happening with the animals than the species. So I sure. love the training; like that's my my passion. So
1: that explains the whole ABMA thing, yes. and we'll get there, I promise. <laughs> but um, that's really that's really cool. Um, so who all or what all is in your department at the zoo?
0: So with the pinnipeds department, we have twelve California sea lions and four harbor seals. So we during the summer months and then weekends in the fall and the spring, we do our um shows currently. It's titled Sea Lion Training Tales, and we focus a lot on training, um, how we train animals and a lot of guest interactions. And then uh the rest of the day, other than you know, the classic taking care of animal things, we try to come up with a lot of different guest interactions. So if you're ever In Columbus, you might see us randomly doing um, experiences in our tunnel because I'm going to plug this. We have the only 360 degree tunnel in the world for sea lions and seals. So we do a lot of Cool training in that and having guests ask behaviors with sea lions under the water.
1: Nice. That's really cool. I, yeah, it's awesome down there. It's if y'all haven't made it to the Columbus Zoo yet, you need to. It's just, yeah, no, it's, 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 I mean, y'all have heard me talk about Columbus a bunch, but that, uh, that area with the pinnipeds and the, the 360 degree tunnel is really something to experience. Um, so I, I'm I, I'd love to start talking about the actual like individual animals there mm-hmm. a little bit. So pick a couple of favorites. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but I also know that you have favorites. And and tell me about some of your pinnapals. pals.
0: So that's actually funny you say that because when guests say you shouldn't have favorites, I say one if anyone who works with animals say they don't have a favorite, they're lying to you. <laughs> the same with if a parent says that. So just saying. Um, Sorry, my, third children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite. Sea lion, hands down. Sorry to the rest. Is uh, one of our sixteen-year-old males, Chitzi. Uh, he actually lived in China for a lot of his life, so wow. his name Chitzi is Chinese, and uh, it actually is a Chinese legend. It means the seventh son, and normally the seventh son has mythical healing powers. Mm. So um, he has normal sea lion metabolism <laughs> healing, which is faster <laughs> than us as humans and a lot of other animals. Nice, um, nice. but Did his, not know that. His nickname is Cheese.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. So,
0: and it was funny. We were um, trying to think about if we were going to keep calling him Cheese or chetsai so he can learn his name. And we have found out that we're pretty sure that he thinks his name is Cheese. <laughs> um, so if you're ever around Columbus and you hear us yelling Cheese, we're not hungry. We're calling for uh, our sea lion. But Cheese is uh, one of my favorites. Because uh, when, if you didn't, anyone in the podcast didn't know this, some of our sea lions actually lived in a satellite facility in Florida while we were building Adventure Cove in Columbus. and we had to do a big transport with them. So we did a lot of training with all of our animals. We wanted to make it positive for them to do this transport, which was a, going to be and was, 24 hours in a crate in a semi truck moving. And so each of us as trainers had different animals that we were the primary trainer on and Chitsai was mine. And we, it was interesting. Animals all have different histories, personalities, and some of them were like, yeah, I'll go into this crate. You can close the door behind me. This is cool. Chitsai was not one of those sea lions at first, <laughs> um, but that's the magic of training. So it took a lot of work with him and really like, working through that. And what I tell people, if you ever have a project that you're doing with a friend and it takes a long time, it's difficult. The second you finish that you're kind of bonded for life. You know, you see each other a couple of years later and you say, Hey, do you remember the time we did that? That was awesome. That's kind of something with animals too. So Chitza and I have had a really strong relationship from that because it was difficult. We worked through it. Like he learned to trust me, to trust us with the crate, training. And by the end of it, he went into the crate, sat there, we closed it and we actually did a lot of extra training with that. um, We won second place for behavioral training at the previous, this past year's IMATA conference, um, International Marine Animal Trainers Association Nice uh, for that work, because not only do we crate train them, we train them to let us pick them up with a forklift. We trained forklifts moving around the facility and all these things. And so from that moment, we've always kind of had a special relationship. and um, He is one of my favorite animals in the world. And then on top of that, I also trained him in behavior where he does a 360 spin and splashes people. Nice. So that's also very fun in, uh, <laughs> during guest experiences as well.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Uh, so cheese. Yes. Cheese. Yeah. Okay.
0: He's, he's one of my favorites.
1: That's That's truly amazing. Um, man, that transport, uh, that whole... How long did that training and such take?
0: So we actually, because we knew it was happening, we started in November of 2019. And then the transport was um, the uh, middle of April of 2020. All right. Um, So we did a lot with that. And uh, we, like I said, it was a lot of focusing on things that people maybe don't always think about. That um, was one of the, the things that our curator... Uh, Pablo Jory. He's French. That's why I said his name like that. (laughs) I didn't just have something in my throat. Um, He's been working with sea lions for almost 20 years and he had these ideas. Um, One of the things that we did was since sea lions are social animals, we trained them basically to know to be okay with their conspecifics and their group leaving and not coming back. Because when you're transporting 600 pound animals and you have one day to do it because you're renting all of the Semi-trucks, you know, the moves happening, you want to make sure that you can set them up the most you possibly can. So that was one of the unique things. We started actually doing mock moving days where we would pretend to move them all out so they couldn't see each other and get used to it. So there's it a lot of really cool stuff and it was amazing to see them. And they uh, we have videos that you see them in the crate getting moved with a forklift, lifted up in a semi-truck and they're all just sitting there like another day, another fish.
1: <laughs> that is Absolutely incredible! I have a question: Who figures out the budget for all of that stuff?
0: People that are not me. Okay, um, fair, the, fair, there's there. You know, people don't always think about. But the zoo isn't just people taking care of animals. You know, someone says, "Oh, I know someone who works at the zoo," and I say, "What do they do?" And they say, "Finance." And I said, "That's awesome." I probably don't know who they are <laughs> um, because it is a big organization. Any zoo, so there are people that um, are making. You know, the curators the vice presidents of finance and animal care um, will figure out all of those logistics. And luckily we get the fun part of uh, training the animals to do it.
1: Fair, fair. I'm just, I'm thinking about <laughs> renting forklifts and trucks.
0: And, yeah. And that's man. why it was also important to try to move it. Cause you also have permits when you're transporting animals too. Right. And, you know, so we wanted it all to be positive um, for the animals completely their choice. So, that's why we spent a lot of time to make sure that they were comfortable doing that.
1: that is that is absolutely awesome. I love thinking about that. That's very cool. Very cool. Were you on the transportation trip as well? Yes, okay. so um
0: myself, and then we had um oh my gosh, four other trainers that were down in um, Florida. That we're doing that. And then Vauder Stillard, one of your guests uh, in a couple episodes ago, he came down because he was with the sea lions for a while. And so he came down to help as well. And it was basically we had other people that were not me in the back of the semi trucks, monitoring animals. I was not one of those people because I get severe motion sickness. Oh, gosh. So I drove the zoo van with all the materials, the equipment and stuff on the way back. That was well, my job.
1: That makes sense. That's good because, yeah, motion sickness would be bad. I can't imagine. I, I'm sure that, um, you know, you would never do anything that would make you sick or uncomfortable while working with animals, right?
0: Correct. Like yes. you don't
1: have any weird allergies that you oh. want to tell us about? <laughs> oh, you're, fishing. <laughs> I'm, I'm fishing. you're fishing for ah!
0: that one. Hey! Um, well, the, one of the funny things I had told him before we started this was that I am a sea lion and seal trainer that handles many pounds of fish a day that is allergic to fish. So I have to wear gloves when handling fish. Luckily, at the Columbus Zoo, we re- recycle our gloves. So, nice, um, nice. But I always joke that I'm like a baker that's allergic to flour. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: really tough. So yeah. so what happens if, if you get a fish allergy? Like what 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 happens?
0: So if I ever get fish on my hands, uh, they blister really bad. And even to the f- fact that if I get a small rip in my glove, and only a little bit gets on it, that little portion will blister. So it's unfortunate for me.
1: All right. So just to clarify, allergic to fish, not really like stoked about pinnipeds. And yet the, the okay, hey, we all make choices in life. No judgment on this podcast. <laughs> but have you thought of like trying to train the red pandas there? Because they are adorable. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> they are adorable. But uh, I know I kind of told you I love, Training, you know, every animal is different. One of the incredible things about sea lions is they are very intelligent and they can be on land and water. So you have a lot of really cool things that you can do having uh, both of those arenas to help them learn in.
1: Absolutely, and um, I mean, obviously, sea lions, seals, pinnipeds in general are known for being infinitely trainable.
0: Um, what's some of the cool training stuff that you do? So. Probably the coolest behavior that we've trained our sea lions is one of our older sea lions, Bodega. He's 26. If you watch Secrets of the Zoo, season five, he's one of the stars, along with my elbow. Um, I have a famous elbow that's on Disney+. Nice.
1: Yeah. Um, my fiance was actually uh, a, um, a vet intern. Uh, and it's also all, all oh. over seasons of the zoo. I think it was season five. Yeah, seasons of the zoo, <laughs> secrets of the zoo, season five. Um,
0: yeah. So. Oh, so that's really funny because uh, that I'm actually in that one. The the joke that I have is the first season. Um, I was doing a show with Jack Hanna and told all my friends and family. I I filmed for Secrets of the Zoo. I'm gonna be on TV. Everyone's watched, and I literally it's just my elbow for one second. <laughs> And then when it went to Disney Plus, I would joke that I have uh, uh, my elbows on Disney Plus. So it sounds like your fiance is actually more on Disney Plus than me. Yeah, she you can see her. You can, okay. yeah, like but, all of her. Does yeah. she have an icon for me to change my profile to? Sadly not. Oh, yeah, not, Come on. Yet. Okay. not yet. Okay. Okay.
1: Um, but it's it's yeah. I love that show though. I mean, the show just existing is really cool.
0: Yeah, know? it's been really cool to see it expand to other areas too and give people, you know, a behind the scenes look into what actually goes on with everything that's caring for our animals. And uh, one of the things that you'll see in that is we um, give Bodega cold laser therapy because he is 26 and he has, you know, stiff bones, mobility issues. But when he was younger in 2018, he had bilateral cataract surgery and um, he was actually trained to put himself to sleep completely. What? No restraints, stuck his head into the anesthetic tube. And breathing in anesthesia fell asleep. That's amazing. All on his own. So wow. he, yeah, that is, I think, one of the really cool things. Um, you know, we do a lot of cooperative care. You're, you're going to hear this throughout the um, zoo industry, animal training industry is, you know, we want our animals to take care of themselves. You know, if we can give them the choice, um, we're going to do that. One of my favorite sayings is our animals are working with us and not for us. And so if we can train them to open their mouth and let us stick A dental plate in while the vet comes in and takes x-rays, if we can train them to put themselves to sleep on anesthesia, um, if we can train them to lay down and know that we are going to be sticking a needle into their flippers to draw blood, you know, it's all about training, all about relationships. So um, we do a lot of really cool things with that. And then I would say one of the really cool uh, non-medical behaviors that we've trained, um, we're currently training with our pinnipeds is... Since we have the tunnel, we've uh, trained our sea lions to have a trainer up top where they can, you know, receive fish reinforcement. And we give them a cue to go find us under the water so we can go all around underwater the tunnel. And since we have a tunnel that there's 360, our sea lions will even go underneath the tunnel, look up at us, and we can ask them behaviors like (laughs) they blow bubbles, (laughs) open their mouth, all that kind of stuff. And so that's really cool. It's really um, mentally stimulating for them because there's a lot of different things and it's so funny you can ask a sea lion to wave above the water a hundred times they'll do it a hundred times some of them under the water they're like wait this doesn't compute (laughs) how does this work under the water and so we work through that and then they get it and it's awesome so nice um a lot of cool guest interactions with that as well
1: that's really cool yeah i guess in a way i mean i'm trying to think uh as a pinniped.
0: And now I want seafood for dinner.
1: But um, beyond that, um, I guess it would be like just physically, the physics are different. Yes. Yeah. That's it's interesting. It's interesting that some just adapt and some are like, um...
0: Yeah, one <laughs> of the other funny things is that uh, some of our sea lions grew up living at SeaWorld Orlando. Okay. And they have rocks to climb on. Well, some of our other sea lions that... Um, lived in China most of their life, their habitat there did not have rocks in the middle of the water. So, you know, they have places to haul out, out, you know, on the edges of the water. And when we first got there, we had to train the sea lions to know that they could go on the rocks. Oh wow. Yeah. And so one of the, a training technique that you can use that normally um, you move on to from pretty quickly is called baiting, which is where you literally put their food where you want them to go or do something. So, we would bait them by throwing fish up on the rocks and they would, no joke, swim around like a black hole existed there. Like they could not find the fish. They would, it didn't even come into their mind that they should look up top. And uh, I actually, one time we had a raft and I rafted out to the rock and had to stand on the rock and have someone send them so they know they could go on top of it. But after one time of that, they're like, Oh, this isn't a black hole. It's a rock. Okay. I can go on top of it where the sea world animals, you know, they're going on the rocks. They're doing all this stuff. So,
1: but yeah, that is hilarious. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I love that. Um, so I, you know, I have a black lab and I just have to ask, are, are sea lions really just black labs and vice versa? Cause that's kind of been my experience with my
0: dog. It's really funny. Their nicknames are water dogs. Yep. That yeah, makes and sense. They have very similar personalities. You know, they can, be hyper they can be calm they're very smart very intelligent very relationship focused animals as well like i told you with me and Chitsai, like we have a really strong relationship and he has a strong relationship with all the trainers on our team but my relationship with Chitsai is different than my relationship with lavelle and all of our other animals and they really do feed on that similar how your dog you know is probably excited to see humans in general, but if it's, that is an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> but especially with you, you know, he knows that you're his person and they're very similar in that way. But a little fun fact closest land relative of pinnipeds are actually bears,
1: not dogs. So interesting. Yeah. I would not have gone bear.
0: Yeah. If you look at other species of sea lion that aren't California sea lions, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, Patagonians, you can see it a little bit more.
1: Very fascinating. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Um, So, And then you said you have uh, the sea lions and then seals, right? Yes. Yes. So let's talk seals for a minute.
0: Yes. So um, since I told you that my uh, um, curator, Pablo, is French, I will not say this on the podcast, but everyone should Google what seal is in French on Google Translate. Um, It is not spelled the same as... A uh, vulgar word in English, but <laughs> as a as a preview, the genus of seals are foca, so you can kind yep. of guess where yep. that's going yep, there. Yep, but yep. it's really fun. We like to joke about that, but.
1: I think I'm going to start saying things like, oh, you're like a seal. Yeah. Like, seal you. <laughs> yes,
0: that's, that's actually what we say. <laughs> we'll say, what the seal is going on here? Um, yeah, that, that's a real secret of the zoo. You're not going to find on Disney+. Plus. Uh, but seals are... Now they're going
1: to blur your elbow.
0: <laughs> you won't be allowed on it anymore. <laughs> as long as they put a seal over top of it, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, But seals, you know, they're related to sea lions and they are very different. Sea lions are very naturally confident animals. They're predators. They can still be preyed upon by larger predators like sharks and orcas, but seals in general are much more cautious. They're going to spend a lot more of their time in the water. They don't swim as fast as sea lions. And when we were first, uh, working with the seal, the seals, uh, colleagues from SeaWorld Orlando were kind of telling us, you know, here's some things. And I remember I will never for, forget this. We were told sometimes you're going to wonder what's going on. And only answer is just, it's a seal. <laughs> and sometimes it is like, it's literally the wind changes direction and they're like, ah, <laughs> um, but that's one thing that we focused on and found a lot is they are very relationship. You know, any animal you're training, trust is so important in that relationship. And we've found with our seals, that is something that's happened. And what we're hoping is that you get to come to the Columbus Zoo next year is that our seals will be in our program. Oh, nice. Currently they are not because, um, to get to our stage area, you have to be on land for a long period of time. And like I mentioned, seals aren't as comfortable on land, but now preview, some of our seals are going out there. So that's one of our goals. And they're a lot more comfortable. We're doing a lot of, uh, fun, behaviors with them and uh i think they're the sky is the limit with our group we have a young group that is just learning so they're they're really fun they're definitely guests favorites because i mean seals are kind of like the sloths of the ocean
1: yeah that's fair Yeah. yeah yeah that is really wonderful all right so you say that trust is important uh when you're you know training an animal and uh i'm calling bs no i'm kidding that is obviously wildly important um but how do you build trust with pinnipeds like I know how I do it with with dogs or with gerbils which is give them food and they already love me um, but how do you do that with with seals and sea lions?
0: Yeah, I think that part of this answer is going to be that it's the same with any animal you know it's uh, food definitely helps in doing that but a lot of it is finding other ways to engage them so, when we're training a sea lion or a seal or a cheetah or a red panda, you know, you're, if all you're ever doing is sticking them with a needle, you know, you're going to be the person that sticks them with a needle, but there's a lot of other things that you can do with, um, sea lions in particular. Um, some of them are just very reinforced, very engaged in high energy athletic behaviors. One of our sea lions, um, Columbia she is if she's sitting still she'll you know she'll do it but then giving her fish and then letting her go and get energy out and doing high energy behaviors jumping going up rocks being really quick running around is reinforcing to them so you know you can build trust and relationship through those type of things and i told you chitza is my favorite so lots of (laughs) lots of uh, stories with him um one of uh, my other trainers, Ellie and I were training Chitsai to get his back x-rayed and with him, with his history, like it kind of with the crate things behind him that he can't see, you know, most animals yeah. not, might not be super thrilled about it. Sure, sure. So um, for him, basically he had to learn to lay down and let the vets have the x-ray over top of them. And we found that we had a lot more success when we would only do that one or two times during a training session and immediately after doing an x-ray, which to him maybe wasn't the most positive experience um, at the, at first immediately after that, we would go out into our stage area, which we could do a lot of fun, high energy behaviors. So that's one way that we can reinforce animals, not just with fish, with him realizing, you know, in his head, I'm going to sit here with my trainer, the scary vet, is going to put the x-ray machine over, but then afterwards I know I'm going to get to go outside and do fun behaviors, splash splash some people, swim <laughs> around, you know, all those kind of things. So that's another way that building trust and relationship can come. You know, you said like your dog, you probably build it by playing tug-of-war or, or fetch or things like that. No, we don't do that with sea lions necessarily, <laughs> but, you know, um, other fun things in their environment, um, positive interactions, you know, even... Um, sea lions are, some of them are very tactile, you know, um, giving them scratches under their chin, like eye, is very reinforced by getting neck, neck scratches nice. and stuff like that. So all those things, um, can build a relationship, not just in pinnipeds with really any animal, you know, I bet you're talking to a lot of trainers and they'll say similar things, maybe not with a giant pool, but.
1: Sure. No, that makes sense. Who would win in a game of tug? A uh, sea lion or a, let's say, a uh, black lab?
0: Okay. So I'm going to say that a sea lion is definitely stronger. Okay. However, the ba- black lab is going to want it more. So <laughs> I'm going to put my money on the black lab. All right. Fair, fair,
1: fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like goofy questions. Um, good answer. Good answer.
0: Um,
1: so, okay. So y'all uh, y'all do programs with your animals, and uh, they are a great way to um, show learned behaviors and show, um, you know, I think it's a great way to introduce the public to to how training works, which I think is wildly important. Um, tell me, though, I know that things happen. I, I'm sure you have at least one story of somebody being a little, let's say, obstinate or just, you know, what happens when when the, uh, the um, program doesn't go exactly as uh, planned?
0: Yeah, so... There's a, a saying you'll hear a lot of people that do different kind of guest interactions with animals training that uh, everything's under control. The animal has it under control. You know? <laughs> so um, I think that's one thing about the modern animal trainer is all about choice. So, for example, when we have our animals out on our stage, we leave the back door open for them to go back inside. If they ever want to just go back inside, completely can Conversely with our sea lions, sometimes they don't, don't want to go back inside and they stay <laughs> out. And, um, you know, if that happens, it's an opportunity to show guests, you know, we're here to be with them and we're not quote unquote, making them do anything like they are doing these with us. And, um, sometimes, you know, we talk about with training with, we keep talking about black labs. Sometimes food isn't the most reinforcing thing. Sometimes it's your dog, pets from your trainer. It's your favorite toy. Sometimes if you're a sea lion, it's getting to do different behaviors. It's going somewhere new. It's afterwards going back inside and being by yourself where you can sleep for a little bit where it's quiet inside. Like all those different things are great ways that we can reinforce and do our training. So if an animal, for example, decides they don't want to participate in the program, it's honestly just a great way to show the public and educate them with, you know, we're here for them. And if they're showing us that, they don't want to do training, and they would rather swim around. Um, Bodega, the one, the 26 year old I told you earlier. Sometimes he just gets out there and he goes, "Great, my own personal giant hot tub," and he's just <laughs> there, and he gets to stay there. And um, there are, and that that's an that's a case. Other times, you know, we work with our animals all the time. We can read their behavior. Sometimes, if we, you know, notice they're feeling a little uncomfortable, or you know, it's not the best moment for them, um, we can alter script a little bit and do something else we can see if another animal wants to come out um and do that and just sometimes you know if it doesn't work we just tell guests and i think a lot of guests are just you know they might be disappointed they didn't get to see what they were hoping to see but ultimately they're like we get it like that's awesome that they have that choice
1: right no and i i yeah that is important that's very cool um i love that What, uh, are you guys at all associated with, um, the shows that happen right next to the arena? The, the, I know that's, it's like ambassador animals, but I didn't know if that's y'all or if that's Aev.
0: so that is animal encounters last year when we first, um, 2021, we actually did a combined program with animal encounters village. Uh, if you got the chance to see it, there are a couple, you can look it up on YouTube. It was called dive into adventure. And, um, that was a lot of fun for me specifically, because I used to work at Animal right, right. County Village. So it was a lot of the animals I used to work with and a lot of my coworkers I used to work with. And um we did something different that we never had done in our department before, which was um we had a plant in the audience. Oh yes, okay. And the uh the messaging was this person was on their phone and they were missing what was around them and then throughout the Uh, experience realizing that, like, hey, you know, nature, and we kind of tied it into um, you know, when you're around the zoo, our goal is we want you to connect with wildlife. And then when you leave here, you can connect with wildlife no matter where you live. And so, that was pretty fun because we had to think of a way. We started the show with a sea lion trainer and an animal encounters trainer, and we had to find a way to need a plant to come into the audience. Mm -hmm. And what we ended up doing which is pretty fun was uh the sea lion trainer would place their bucket onto the acrylic into the pool and then the plant would be taking a selfie and we would say hey do you want to come up and get a closer selfie and they would and they would turn around and knock the bucket into the water <laughs> and um it was really funny because uh some some of our sea lions would just take the bucket straight to the bottom of the pool. Like, is there fish in here? Nope, okay. So then they would go in and then the plant would come up and then we would bring, um, at the very end of the show, the sea lions would come back out to do that. So um, that was really fun for um, a year. And then this year we um, have specific sea lion and then specific ambassador programs. And I think one of the really cool parts about that, Area the Venture Coast Stadium area is that we can evolve that. So, um, we've currently focused on, uh, training. However, if you're, I don't know when this is going out, but if it's sometime in October for, um, boo at the zoo, we're transitioning to talking about adaptations and, um, you know, having a guest come down to have the perfect sea lion costume with adaptations, but instead we're going to dress them up ridiculously like, um, Instead of whiskers, fake mustache, nice. and stuff like that. Nice, so,
1: nice. That fun. sounds fun. I want to come to that. I will probably come to that. <laughs> so that's, that'll be good. We'll do that. I'll come hang out. It'll be fun. I like it here. <laughs> um, very interesting. And so we're talking a lot about behavior, and we're talking a lot about training, which segues beautifully into ABMA. So why don't you um, explain to my listeners what not ABMA
0: is? <laughs> Not ADMA or the the ABMA, which stands for Animal Behavior Management Alliance, is a nonprofit, not-for-profit organization that really focuses on uh, behavior management, training, um, being a leader in the field and helping others to um, do a lot of things. We've talked about giving animals choice, uh, how we can improve welfare uh, like anything in the world. Like you just told me you got a brand new uh, MacBook, you know, computers when they first came out had to stay in your house and weighed 20 pounds and, you know, technology changes, things change. The animal training world, the zoo world is the exact same. So, um, ABMA is there as a resource. So it's a lot of current animal trainers, former animal trainers, people, um, maybe even like you that are really interested. And it's not just for, um, exotic animals that live in human care. We do a lot and have a lot of members that do, um, domestic animal training: oh, wow. dogs, cats, okay. um, horses. Actually, one of the really cool things in the industry is, um, people are using positive reinforcement techniques to train horses. Okay. Instead of, you know, the classic bit in the mouth, you right, know, right. those kind of things. So, um, That's what ABMA's goal is, is to be that resource, to be a place where if you are interested for your own sake, if you've been in the industry for years, if you are trying to think of how I can do better, if you're a new um, employee, if you're an aspiring animal trainer, zookeeper, that um, we have a lot of resources to help get you started because, you know, I a lot of us in the field have done some kind of science in our undergrad or masters, but really there isn't people that teach animal training because it's hard to do in a book. So it's also a lot of um, hands on things, but ABMA is a way that um, you can have those resources. There's lots of videos, there's conferences where you get to see some of the presentations people have done. Um, All those things are great ways that uh, as the animal behavior management Alliance. We want to help further the um, advancement of positive reinforcement training, behavior management, choice and control, welfare, all those things for animals.
1: Absolutely. That's awesome. And uh, how, how old is this organization?
0: It actually started in 2000. Okay. Um, Yeah. So uh, 22 years, this coming uh, spring in 2023, we will be doing our first ever joint conference in Atlanta with IMATA. Okay. That I was talking about nice. earlier and um, because of COVID-19, we didn't get to celebrate our 20th anniversary. So there we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary and IMATA will be celebrating their 50th anniversary. And it'll really be a cool conference because we are two organizations that are very similar. Like our goals are the exact same. You know, even if I wasn't working with pinnipeds, I would be a member of both. And I work a lot with ABMA, even though I do focus currently on marine mammals because ultimately training is training, behavior is behavior, advancement of the field, doesn't matter what taxa you're working with.
1: Yeah, no, makes sense to me. And uh, what is your role in the group, in the organization?
0: So I am one of our directors at large. So we have um, a group of... um, animal care professionals and um we're all volunteer and the goal is just how we can do it so uh i joined the board in 2021 um one thing that we were talking about earlier is i'm hoping to start an abma podcast that'll be uh pretty short and focused a lot on training we're going to start with the basics kind of we're talking about earlier and we hopefully if it's successful we'll build our way up um I also uh, help with our publication called Engage. So um, traditionally it has been a magazine. Now it's 2022 and magazines are kind of obsolete. I was going to say, I I remember that word from from ancient history. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, You might've read about it in your library. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And um, so what we're actually just had a meeting with the other day was how we can revamp that. So uh, if you are a member of ABMA or if you're interested Uh, We, in the next, you know, hopefully a couple months, we're going to start that up again and make it a digital uh, platform and hopefully having QR codes so that we can have people. So the whole publication is other animal care professionals that have done really cool training and we help to showcase that. And it's a lot of things that we think that people around the industry could see them do and um learn from that and so we're hoping to have an article but also qr codes with videos um so you can see that training in action and see the progression of a behavior being trained as well so i help i help with that and then i'm also currently um helping with our conference that'll be coming up in uh, march like i mentioned about with the um joint conference with Imada.
1: that's awesome and i'm curious so um You know, the world of behavior is uh, touchy in some regards. And we're not going to say any names, but anybody who knows anything about behavior knows that there's a a big legal battle going on right now between some of the top names in it. And just beyond that, there are different um, attitudes towards towards training and how much you should have just positive reinforcement versus, you know— is there the right time to bring in positive punishment or or negative punishment or whatever? Um, how do y'all, as an organization, balance those different voices, and uh, or are you all just pure, you know, positive reinforcement? And this is what we stand for. And uh, if you don't like it, go start, you know, BMBA. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like a new uh, sports league. Uh, well, I think that ultimately everyone in the industry is there for the same thing. We want to find the best way to give any animal in our care the best life possible, you know, in a zoological setting, even at your home with your own um, animals that you might have. And as an organization, there's a lot of different viewpoints. Honestly, diversity in viewpoints is great. You see a lot of different viewpoints and you learn different ways and what might work in one instance might not work in another. I mean, animals, one of my, uh, um, favorite sayings that I've said to a lot of other people that I know is, um, Stellard, Stillard, who was one of my mentors when I first started, Would always say that training is the study of one. And then my little add on is study of one in one moment. So I, each animal is different. You know, you could have two sea lions and you do one way to learn the same behavior works that way. The other sea lions sitting next to them, you try that, it doesn't. You have to do different ways because everyone's different. Every moment's different. And I think that ultimately, it's what's best for the animals. And in different cases, that might call for something different. For a different species to species, that might call for something a little bit different. And ultimately, looking at the welfare of an animal is what is important. And One thing that in the animal world, you and you look at training, you know the science of training, you know, saying negative reinforcement, for example, might sound bad to someone who doesn't know that, but there are instances. So a lot of times when we say we want to focus on positive reinforcement, because that is the focus. You want that to be your end goal. But there are instances where negative reinforcement, for example, or um, punishment could be used. And, you know, the word punishment sounds... Severe, but right. really, that is just decreasing the frequency of a behavior happening and happening in the future. Um, an example of a time where I did not use person, personally, I was not purely using positive reinforcement training behavior um, with um, Terry the ground hornbill. Mm-hmm. You, I'm sure you're uh, a fan of her at Animal Counters Village. Yes, um, yes. Earlier in my career, I was training her to had we had a fake nest and we had three stuffed animals of prey items. And ground hornbills are cooperative breeders, so they will actually not leave when they're sexually mature. They'll stay to help their parents raise their parents young, basically their siblings. Nice. And so the goal was that she would take all of those and put them into the nest to show that. Well, the hardest part of that was giving her the communication of she would take one of them, put it in the nest. Good job, bridge. Reinforce that. Then she would go all right, pick it up, put it back in. That's the behavior you're asking me to do, right? Uh, you know That makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. I get that. Yeah. So, you know, to help her understand that what we're asking was for her to put one in and then leave to get another one is when she would put the first one in, I would reinforce her by just throwing her food a little bit away from it. So she would run, she'd get her food, and then I would take the stuffed animal and remove it mm-hmm. so that she had to get one of the other two. So technically, that's, you know... I'm removing something from the animal's environment. So that's negative. And I am punishing the behavior of her coming back to it and placing it up again. So in that moment I was using negative punishment, but you know, if you look at that scenario, that's just a way that I was able to give her more communication. I think a lot of situations too, when you know, you have these different viewpoints, the end goal is to come back to using the most positive, least intrusive method, which a lot of times is positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a tool that you can use to communicate with the animals. So I think that as a field, as Animal Behavior Management Alliance, it's really just looking at what is best for that animal in the moment. Like that should, I think most animal care professionals will say, you know, we want to do everything that we possibly can to give them the best life, to give them choice and control, to use positive reinforcement. But sometimes looking at it and say, what is best for the animal isn't always what we think might be best. It's looking at their behavior, what they're showing us, and um, how we can communicate that and then get that for them.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I've, I've often thought that y'all have a branding problem. <laughs> When you no seriously, like when you talk about negative punishment, that sounds like you are smacking the crap out of an animal or something, and obviously not the case. You just gave a great example of it. Also, whoo, I would not want to be the hand that tries to smack a hornbill. Just saying, but um, (laughs) and
0: and I would not let you do that either. Fair, fair.
1: (laughs) But like, I just, yeah, I think I think it's such a branding problem, you know, and I think science in general struggles with branding. I mean, literally the whole global warming thing where, you know, there's a difference between global warming and climate change, but people, you know, focused on the term global warming. And you still, I still to this day, Hear people go outside when it's snowing and say, "Oh, global warning. My, no, and, and it's just bad branding. I could have told you that was going to happen. I could have told you in five seconds that's exactly what is going to happen. And and it sucks, but scientists are often very literal and and don't think about the the marketing side of things. And you know, as a person who has kind of stumbled into science communication, I am always thinking like I'll hear somebody say something like negative punishment, and I'm like, oh. Y'all, we can do better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's one thing with animal training. One thing that I've said is it is equal parts an art as it is a science. Mm -hmm. And I think that the science we're talking about using those words, like negative punishment, that sounds bad in practice isn't. It's all about the understanding. So, you know, you could have a trainer that's doing something And they're training the animal, the best training you've ever seen. And maybe they don't fully understand that science. And that's, you know, one thing that organizations like the ABMA are there to help is to help educate people in the field and outside the field. Like, you know, we're talking to all your uh, listeners. You have a lot of people who are listening that aren't in the field, that Uh just love animals, um, think you're funny. Um, yes, there those are things. two of, those. Yes, yes, of them. Yes, two of them. Yes, one of them's your fiance. No,
1: sadly oh. not. <laughs> <laughs> one of them's
0: your black lab. <laughs> yes, okay, perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think that is one thing that, um, you know, it is a lot about getting that information out there and teaching people, educating people, and that is one thing that ABMA is there to do um, for the field and also to mm-hmm. be a resource. So we actually have a. Committee, the Government Affairs Committee, and um, they monitor what's going on in the world and offer ways that we can, as an organization, can potentially give insight, can uh, give backup. There was a um, a video from Russia, I think last year, that surfaced. And as an organization, we sat down as the Board of Directors, the Government Affairs Committee, we put together, you know, how could we potentially help them learn? And, you know, you might not get a response back, but that is a big part about the industry is being there, being there as a resource and, um, helping to educate people and the general public because, um, it is a lot different. And one of the reasons that all the different secrets of the zoos are really cool is because you get a behind the scenes look and you can see that happen and be like, Oh,
1: No, hundred percent. And that's, that's one of my goals with this podcast too. As an outsider, especially I come to a facility and I get to go behind the scenes and I get to see what's going on. And like I said, there've been a couple of times where if I've, I've seen something that I don't love, we've addressed it. You know, it's rare. The AZA is very good at what it's doing. A lot of the time. Um, not always, uh, my audience knows how I feel about certain things. Uh, but you can just be quiet over there, but, uh, (laughs) yes, but, um, And, uh, you know, they, they, I think transparency matters. And I think the fact that, you know, if I can go behind the scenes and you can show me something, then I, uh, who am I? I'm not getting paid, you know, by the zoo or whatever. Um, and I think it's really helpful. You know, I still, to this day, there is an episode of secrets of the zoo with an Arctic fox that, uh, that dies and, and Priya, uh, Dr. Priya loses it. She's so upset. Um, you know, she did everything she could. It's not like she did anything wrong. That, image sticks with me all the time. And especially with Zoe being a vet, whenever she's telling me a story and I'm listening, I I always have that like in the back of my mind, remembering like how much love and care and passion and like, even somebody like, like Priya, who is doing this forever and a professional and, and, you know, usually, I mean, seems unflappable, got really flapped on that episode. And I cried right along with her. And that, that, you know, I think, yeah, transparency is wildly important and I think it's awesome that shows like that and frankly like this exist. Yeah,
0: and uh, that's one thing that a lot of times when I'm telling people about you know, us as animal trainers, we know our animals so well. We spend more time with them than we do our friends and family. Our waking hours in in a week are with them and so you do form that connection. That's one of the things that I love is being able to extend that connection with be it having a guest ask an animal to open their mouth and get a picture with it and learn about training all the way to, like you said, transparency. I love that we do behind the scenes tours in Columbus where you get to go and see what we're doing as trainers every single day. I know I used to work for a sea world parks entertainment company and I love that organization. They do multiple times a year where if you're just a guest, they open up the back are they're behind the scenes sneak peek days and you get to go back and you see all of that. And um, I think that's a really cool movement in the zoological facility is being proud of everything Mm -hmm. and teaching people that, you know, this is one, this looks really fancy out here. Sometimes in the habitats look nice for us. For example, Adventure Cove looks like a Pacific seaside village. Yes, it does. That's awesome for us. I can tell you a secret. The sea lions do not care that the, the building is, looks like the facades of, a shop. Right, right. What they care about is their physical habitat. Uh-huh. So, um all those things are really cool ways that we can continue to connect people.
1: Yeah, that's that's absolutely yeah, absolutely right. Um very cool. And so all right, how do people become uh members of ABMA? How, how do you go about doing that?
0: So, if you go to our website which is the abma.org you can sign up to be a member on there and um it depending on the level that you want it's 45 to 55 dollars a year and um you can be a member we uh have a forum on there we're um have a glossary index with heads all those big words we were talking about like a negative punishment and a lot more fun interesting training things that you can um learn about. And if you have any questions at all, um, you can email the ABMA, um, you can reach out to John, he can reach back out to us and we can, um, give you a lot of those things. And, uh, uh, really, it's a great way to also find community as well. And, you know, there's a lot of times where you'll find people saying, Hey, has anyone ever trained a blood draw on a red panda? And you might have four other people saying, I've done it. Here's what we found worked with it and stuff like that. So it's a really great way to connect with that. And also, like I said, if you're interested in training your pets, you have horses. We have a lot of resources for that. And training is the exact, really ultimately is very similar between a sea lion and a black lab.
1: Right, right. Which makes sense because they're the same animal. Yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, you know, I, I, I always find I being a musician as my main thing, I'm, I'm amazed at how often I relate, like the things that I hear in the animal world totally relate to things in my world as a touring musician. And you would not think that, but, um, like, yeah, even how you were saying it's a, a science and an art, that's the same thing about tuning drums in particular. And like there, there's all these strategies and all these things and whole books written about it. But then you get a drum and and that might not work at all. And you have to make it unique. And I'm just, as you say all this stuff, I'm like, this is what I grew up with my whole life. Only it was a snare drum. Yeah. (laughs) It's so weird. So weird to me.
0: Yeah. And Um, it's an art. There's not one way to finish a painting or to paint in general. Right. So, and I think that really does, um, is a good way that you can sum up animal training and, Like I said, one animal might need watercolors. One might need pastel paint. I don't know why I've just leaned into this painting with animals thing, but there it is.
1: Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense. Very cool. So we've done a lot about the ABMA, but I want to throw it back to Columbus for for one more question. Since you worked in AEV, tell me, oh, I don't know, your two favorite animals, who they are, personalities, all that
0: stuff. Well, I will tell you my favorite animal of all time behind my two cats. Shout out Rafiki and Zazu. uh, is Ray the radiated tortoise nice? Yes, so um, Ray's story one, like I said, love lemurs, love all of Madagascar, and um, Ray, so his name is Ray the radiated tortoise because we had Ray, Dia, and Ted radiated <laughs> tortoises, yes, so that was those are their names, nice. um, and uh, initially back when I first started, actually, my first training project I ever did was with Dia radiated tortoise. And, um, the goal was for him to be in our, um, doing a tortoise encounter. And we wanted to talking about giving him choice and control. He's a tortoise. It would be quote unquote easy for us to pick him up, to walk him out onto stage, set him down and let guests pet him. But instead we wanted to give him the option, the choice. So my, um, initial training project was training him to just come have our stage door open. He would come out and we could do that. Um, he learned that in literally two days because nice. he was a very smart tortoise. Reptiles can be trained too. Hat, th- throw it out to all the reptile trainers out there. Um I'm starting to hear
1: about some invertebrates that are getting trained. And that now, too, which all of really those things, cool. really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And um so did it really quickly. And then I had the idea of what if we trained him to slide down a ramp? Because we had a two level system <laughs> and our penguins used the ramp. So I had the idea because after the penguins did their behavior, it was still there. So I did that, and the end behavior was he'd come out on stage, walk over to the edge, slide down a ramp, and then come over, and then we would um, reinforce him for sitting there and letting guests touch his shell. Um, unfortunately, um, there was a procedure, and Dia passed away, you know, talking about the, the hardships of that, that field. Yeah. Like I still can physically feel that day in, you know, in my heart and my mind. And so then we didn't have him doing that behavior. And we had Ray who was the exact opposite personality. Dia was the confident slicked back hair, leather jacket (laughs) where Ray was the one who wanted to hide in the shadows and be in the corner and just do that. And, um, he actually was so uncomfortable with humans that you would go near him straight into his shell. And, um, so what I decided to do was during the winter, I asked my managers if I could bring him in to, so he lived in a greenhouse and then we had our break room with our inside of our building. I asked if I could bring him in just to be around, eat lunch. So every single day I'd bring him in, set him in the main area with a pile of tomato grapes and bananas in front of him and let him sit. And the funny thing is, is my managers, they told me years later, they didn't think this would work, but they didn't want to quote unquote crush my spirit. Um, (laughs) But it's a great way to show that, you know, through training, you know, you and, you know, you can find this in the human world as well. You know, you don't know what someone's capable of until you try and give them a chance. Same thing with training. So had him there after probably about two months. He started to eat the food. Then he started walking around without us. Then I would bring him into where we were all sitting and he would eat and then move to me like, you know, him eating out of my hand. And it was really funny because he would take one bite and then immediately, you know, tortoise, it's like a yep, and they come into their shell, and then he would slowly come back out. So, did that? Um, you know, trained him to target, uh, doing all of that, and then trained him to allow us to pick him up while he kept his head out. So, basically, nice, um, one person would pick him up, and then we reinforce him for keeping his head out. And that got good, by the time so that was the winter, and then the next summer rolled around, and I started training him the same behavior that Dia did with coming out on stage and sliding down the ramp, which, you know, from a tortoise that was uncomfortable with a lot of situations and yeah. going into a shell show and showing that. Um, by the end of that summer, he was doing the behavior, all those things. And then now, if you go to an Animal Encounters Village behind-the-scenes tour, you, a lot of the time, get to meet Ray. And he is now got his hair slicked back and he just walks <laughs> around. People touch him all the time. Um, one of the funny things is that he actually will engage with his trainers now. Instead of, you know, hiding a shell, he comes up. But what he, he tries to flip our shoes. Um, you know, he's he thinks we're tortoises. Right. And, you know, yeah. he's really confident now. So he's doing all that. So it is, he is my favorite and one of my favorite stories because he went from a tortoise that, wow, what was that? I mean, it's been a long time now. Six, six seven years ago, six years ago was wouldn't even let a human would be in a shell anytime a human was nearby to then actively engaging with his trainers allowing the public to pet him and being a great ambassador for his species so um, he is my favorite of all time and my second favorite oh hold on I just oh. need to
1: say one thing oh. it's really awesome that you helped that tortoise come out of his
0: shell, shell! Woo! <laughs> we anyway. did it.
1: Yay. Second favorite. We did it. Yeah.
0: There we go. I, uh, this is why Zoe doesn't think I'm funny. <laughs> yeah, hey, I do. I guess we have similar personalities. Uh, and then my second favorite, I talked about um, Terry, the ground hornbill. And that is just because I think ground hornbills are really awesome. Amazing.
1: Yeah. I, I got to meet and and hang out with a uh, uh, hornbill uh, down in Albuquerque uh, just a couple months ago. And that has stayed with me. Just just an incredible
0: animal. Yeah, Isn't they cool? they. I just like them for that. And I did a lot of training with um, Terry before I went to Bush Gardens, and Bush Gardens has corn dog, the the ground hornbill. So then I also did a lot with him, and so I love ground hornbills.
1: Very cool. That's uh, <laughs> nothing nothing better. So, um, are there any conservation organizations that you would like to give a shout out to?
0: So I will do um, one of the ones that we. Uh, focus with at Adventure Cove with the pinniped specifically is the Marine Mammal Center in Sausalito, California. So uh, I mentioned earlier, if you've had a chance to visit, our habitat is modeled after a seaside village that you'd find the Pacific Northwest. Because if you've ever been out there, you're going to see sea lions swimming around boats. I mean, you probably see videos online of them jumping on boats, you know, being on beaches with humans, you know, no matter where you live, it could be a large, larger animal like a sea lion or even down to like here in this park, I'm sure there's squirrels and stuff like that. You know, No matter where you are, you, we as humans have to, are learning and will continue to share this planet with them. And so the Marine Mammal Center, they actually focus on uh, rescue, rehabilitation and release of uh, aquatic wildlife. And last five years, they've released 21,000 animals Dang. back into their natural habitats. And then if they do have some that they aren't able to um, release out, that's where you know they come in and helping find them a home in a um, zoological institution and things like that and then um, I also love Turtle Survival Alliance
1: oh yeah me too because of the radiated tortoises yes yes.
0: that's my close your ears sea lions that's my favorite conservation organization
1: nice okay nice I love
0: all the work that they do around the the world globally for tortoises and everything
1: yeah absolutely TSA is incredible yeah very cool and uh, then it is time it's time now don't you know We've come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no, it's time for the Ron Safari Poop Story. Hit me.
0: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Probably one of the most bizarre ones I can tell you is that um, when I was working with Cheetahs, a uh, little girl, unfortunately, dropped her Raggedy Ann doll. And this was only a couple years ago. I didn't know Raggedy Ann was still a thing, but yeah, apparently it's no, yeah. still was, going strong. I was just
1: going to say, it was literally Raggedy Ann. <laughs> yeah, it was All right, literally okay.
0: Raggedy Ann. Right. And um, by the time that we knew that it happened and recalled um, the cheetahs, the doll was missing a leg. <laughs> so we searched everywhere, couldn't find it. And um, I don't know if you ever talked about this with anyone or if you are um, listening and haven't heard this. If we have a social group of animals as animal care professionals. And we want to know whose poop is who we actually put glitter in their food. Cause nice. it'll just go through If a human. If you want to do that for fun to spice up your bathroom time, it's completely <laughs> healthy. It's fine. Um, yeah. Lots of great tips on this podcast. Today. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Everybody
1: make sure you join the ABMA <laughs> for more exciting tips.
0: <laughs> and, uh, so we did that to monitor, to see nothing came up. So we're like, maybe the raggedy Ann didn't have a leg.
1: It's fine. She was extra raggedy. She
0: was extra raggedy. Yeah. She was loved for her life. Um, Five months later in the morning, uh, cheetahs went out on Habitat. I was cleaning and there's this brown thing, that you know, kind of looked like poop, but also was just really weirdly shaped, you know, and as animal care professionals, all of us have touched many poop in our careers with our hands. Um, Luckily for me, it wasn't, but I, touched it and it was really squishy and i was like what in the world is this smelled terrible obviously so i pick it up i'm squishing it i'm like what i so i go to the sink and i just run water over it because it's like is this is this poop and nope turns out it was the raggedy ann doll so this cheetah had this raggedy ann doll in its intestinal system for months and you know that's one of the cool things. it didn't bother she was completely fine and um it smelled like it had been there for months. Let's just let's just say that. But yeah, that was, a, um, I guess that's your safari fake poop story. <laughs> poop story. Today.
1: I really like that one. That's really good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on and uh, really fun talking with you and the great stuff that you do around the community. And uh, thank you for helping us talk a little bit about animal behavior. Management Alliance.
1: Absolutely. All right. So there you have it. Shane Gorbett, Columbus Zoo, the ABMA. I love it all. Make sure that you go to the show notes so that you can see how to follow all of the various things that Shane mentioned. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm so excited to be able to share this episode with y'all. I love Columbus so much, but also it's it's cool to actually put out a podcast uh, for this this month of October where the ABMA is, is doing some special stuff online. So I just love being able to partner with cool organizations like that. It makes me really happy. Um, I didn't mention this in the intro because I was pitching Patreon so hard because don't forget there's bonus audio of Shane and I on Patreon. Uh, but yeah, make sure you're following along. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Ross Safari, and uh, on TikTok, at Ross Safari Pod. And uh, yeah, I love you guys. You're all awesome. Most awesome of all might be Lara Shank, my Red Panda level patron, or possibly uh, Dr. Zoe Rossi, since as this episode drops, we will officially be married. So maybe her, maybe her, maybe her. Yeah, maybe her. But uh, yeah, I just... Uh, yeah, thank you all for being here. It really means a lot. And remember, friends, the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari, or by email at RossafariPod at gmail.com. Raw Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.